Well, hello, everybody. So, normally you would be seeing Nathan up here preaching, um, but sometimes we just feel like switching places every once in a while. <laughs> I don't envy him. It's a lot of work to write a sermon every week, but um, it's kind of nice. I, I know he loves being up, uh, able to come up here and worship uh, and lead the congregation, and I, I do enjoy <laughs> being able to preach, but it's, um, it's a lot of work. I'm, I'm not gonna, I wouldn't wish this on anybody, even though Aaron... Congrats. <laughs> so this morning, I, um, I, I had a word that I, I really, I'm excited to share because I feel like it's, it's probably more of me than I've ever shared in a message before, kind of just my personality, but really some of the, the journey I feel like God has, has taken me and, and my wife on over the past several years, and I hope it encourages you today. So something you may not know about me is I love the weather. Like, it's not like this thing where I just enjoy talking about it. It's not small talk to me at all. I think it's so cool getting on the internet and tracking weather trends and data over years and comparing them with other locations. I just think it's so interesting averaging those types of things and um, seeing how they compare to somewhere else. And some of you might have no idea why someone would enjoy that, but I just think it's interesting. Um, I also love extreme weather, you know, just the, the whole idea of, you know, extreme hot, you know, really cold. Um, when I was 23, I took a road trip when I was living in Colorado with my family. I took a road trip to Death Valley in California in the middle of July because I wanted to feel what 124 degrees felt like. I just really wanted to see what this, and it was actually really cool. I mean, it wasn't cool, but you know, <laughs> I, um, it was hot. And people apparently do this in the summertime. They go to Death Valley, to, and there's a big thermometer there, a digital thermometer, and you take your picture underneath it, like, look how brave I am. I don't know. Some of you might think that's just stupid, but Haley's not in here, is she? No. <laughs> My daughter has this really funny thing that she started about a month ago, where every time you say the word stupid, she says, don't say stupid. It's really cool because we worked with her for a while to not say that word. And, and now every time, like, it'll just slip. And we'll be, like, in the other side of the house and talking. And then you'll hear, hey, there's no way she can hear what we're saying, but she'll hear that word and say, don't say stupid. Anyways, but she's not here. Thank you, Carolyn. <laughs> when I was in seminary, I lived in Oklahoma. And the storms there are no joke. The springtime storms, they come through, and man, it's, um, it's quite a sight when you see those storms build on the horizon, and, and you think, that is coming right towards me. <laughs> you either think, I'm going to run away, or it's just the hail, the, st the, the lightning, the rain, the tornadoes, they do happen. I lived there for three years, and I never saw one tornado. People think if you go to Oklahoma, you will eventually be sucked up by a tornado. It does not happen that way. At least it didn't for me. <laughs> um, I went looking. I would, you know, most people when they hear the tornado sirens, they go to their basement. I would get in my car. <laughs> and I'd try to get a view. <laughs> I never had much luck, though. A few weeks ago, we had some storms blow through Saratoga. And it was, it was really cool. Uh, there was... Um, they just, you know, forecasted to have severe storms. There was no, you know, threat of tornadoes, supposedly, but I'm like in my house doing the dishes or something. It started to get really dark. 
And I look outside, and a wall cloud was starting to form just, you know, a mile or so away. Uh, for those of you who don't know, a wall cloud is basically this really intense area of circulation. It starts to lower down, and it's really the beginning of a tornado. And I uh, shot this video that I wanted to show you. This is home footage shot by me, and no three-year-old was harmed in this video, despite what you may hear. <laughs> See it circulating right there? circulates lower and lower to the ground. You can hear Haley in the background. No. It's like you start to see a funnel cloud starting to form right there, but it kind of dissolves right before it can do anything. Super cool, huh? For most people, right? <laughs> About a week or so after this, uh, a tornado actually did touch down in Saratoga, and some of you saw that all over the news. Uh, most people would think that's not cool. Why would you want a tornado to touch down, touch down in your town? But I was excited. I, um, uh, when I was preparing for the message, I, I went over to the, to the area where it, the path was over off of Route 29. I took some pictures, and it really, yeah, you can put those up. It really um, showed, this is the path of the tornado. It, it basically blew down. I think they said about 150 to 200 feet uh, wide path of trees just chopped, like just totally broke these trees in half. It's nothing like you might see in Saratoga or in uh, Oklahoma, the extent that you might see in a big tornado. I think they said this was an EF1, um, but there's no structures damaged, just, um, just a you know, path of trees that you see <clears throat> that are kind of fallen down and knocked over. But you still see this thing had... Uh, quite a punch. And um, this week, also in the United States, we were spared from an uh, impact from a major hurricane, Hurricane Dorian. And um, it totally devastated the Bahamas, the islands of the Bahamas. Reports say as many as 43 people were killed uh, and 13,000 Structures, homes were just completely destroyed. If you've seen pictures, it, it's catastrophic. Um, just complete devastation. It, looked like, it looks like a, an atomic bomb, you know, pretty much just exploded on some of those islands. So do be praying for the Bahamas. There's a lot of work. I mean, the storm is still tracking uh, as we speak out to sea, but be praying for the Bahamas. They've got a lot of work to do in the recovery of lives and, and finding people who are missing uh, and rebuilding. It's, it's quite, a, quite a thing that they're facing. If you want to talk about a force of nature, hurricanes really have no rival to anything on the planet. The amount of energy we see and the power contained in a single hurricane is unfathomable. I mean, we can't even comprehend it sometimes. And not to get too scientific uh, about it, and I, I'm sure some of you are like, okay, bring it on, Corey. But um, meteorologists say you can look at the energy output of a hurricane in two different ways. The, the total amount um, released from the condensation of water in the clouds, the droplets as they fall down as rain, and the amount of energy generated from the strong winds. For example, in the, in the first instance, 
an average hurricane will drop six-tenths of an inch of rain over a circumference of 400 miles, which when you think about that much rain over that much area, that is a lot. And when you convert that amount of water into a volume and then do some calculations, which I did not do, um, you find that the amount of energy released was equivalent to six times 10 to the 14th watts of power, which is enough power to generate electricity for the world 200 times over. You can do a similar calculation for the wind energy produced in a hurricane, and you discover the amount of wind from a hurricane is equivalent to about half the worldwide electrical generating capacity, which is still quite a lot when you think about one single storm. It's very insane, the, the amount of energy these produce. So you thought you were coming to church today, but it's science class, actually. So I hope you guys are taking notes. I seriously don't know what it is, though, but uh, storms are just fascinating to me. I just, I can't get enough. Like, I'll have the weather. We don't have the weather channel right now, which is a bummer. I will just have the weather channel on all day. I will just, <laughs> Ashley knows. Uh, I just really enjoy springtime when all the storms are going through the Midwest and you get to see all these reports and uh, storm chasers getting uh, these awesome pictures of things happening out there. And it's, it's cool because there's so much uncertainty about it, but there's so much just like genuine awe of what nature can produce. So we're going through a two-year Bible reading plan called Mission 119. We're doing it as a church. And each week, we take a passage from the week's reading and use it as the text for the sermon for that week. And um, there's some information about that in the bulletin if you would like to jump in and read along with us as we, as we go. And this week was a challenge because uh, we're in the Psalms, and I love the Psalms. I, um, I think there's so much uh, encouragement in the rawness and the realness of what we see uh, in the Psalms, what we see the writers convey and experience uh, in their relationships and walks with God. As I was praying about what to share with you uh, all this morning, I felt God really impressed on me some things from Psalm 29. For those of you who haven't read it, it's a really cool and interesting passage of Scripture. I think the imagery of God and his power and supremacy helps us understand something about God that we often don't know how to really bring down to a human level. Biblical commentaries refer to this psalm, Psalm 29, as the storm psalm. Surprise, you knew there had to be a tie-in. There it is. In thinking about storms and studying for this, uh, for this passage this week, I began to see something about uh, the way the Bible uses this imagery to describe God. Storms are unpredictable. We saw that this week with Dorian. Forecasters thought it was going to go one way. Donald Trump seemed to think it was going to go another way. It didn't in either case. It, went, it did whatever it wanted. They're uncontrollable. And also you can't drop a nuclear bomb on one and try to get it to do what you want, unfortunately. 
As much as we would like to be able to control these acts of nature, it's really not possible. And they're just plain powerful. As I read this psalm, I want you to think about this in sort of an allegorical sense. Some of the nouns and kind of the geography that you hear described might not make total sense, but there's something I really want us to take away from this today. David writes, starting in verse 1, Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The, the God of glory thunders. The Lord over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The, the Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon to skip like a calf and Syrian like a young wild ox. Syrian is the highest mountain in Lebanon. The voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the forest bare. And in the temple, all cry glory. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned as king forever. May the Lord give strength to his people and may the Lord bless his people with peace. David wrote this psalm to celebrate the greatness and power of God. In verses 1 and 2, he starts off saying, Ascribe, give glory to the Lord, worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. And then in verses 3 through 9, he describes the power of God as exemplified in a storm. We see a progression of that storm as it moves from the Mediterranean and goes ashore to Lebanon and eventually arriving in Israel. As the storm moves, we see the power, the voice of God and the power of God destroy whatever is in its path. It breaks the trees of Lebanon and shakes the ground of the tallest mountain. His voice flashes a fire, shakes the wilderness, and strips the forest bare. The chapter concludes by acknowledging God as king. He is enthroned over the flood, and he will reign as king, giving strength and peace to his people. It's ominous, but it's also a beautiful imagery of God's power and supremacy in creation. The famous preacher uh, Charles Spurgeon said in a commentary of the Psalms, he said about Psalm 29, just as the eighth Psalm is to be read by moonlight when the stars are bright and the 19th Psalm needs, to, needs the rays of the rising sun to bring out its beauty, so 29 can be rehearsed beneath the black wing of tempest by the glare of the lightning or amid the dubious task which heralds the war of elements. The, the verses march to the tune of thunderbolts. God is everywhere, conspicuous, 
and all over the earth is hushed by the majesty of his presence. When we study the Bible, there is often a historical context that helps us in understanding what the writer is trying to say. And in this passage, many biblical scholars believe David is actually addressing this idolatry that existed in their neighbors to the north, the Canaanites. The god of the Canaanites was Baal. And he was known as the god of the storms. The Canaanites worshipped nature. And so what David is doing here is he is saying, Canaan, your puny god is nothing. Israel's God is the real God of the storms. In fact, our God is so big, he's enthroned over the storms. It says in verse 10 of this passage that the Lord sits enthroned over the flood and the Lord sits enthroned as king forever. This image of God being over the storm is powerful. The word flood here appears only one other time in the Bible, and it's in Genesis, in the account of the great flood that covered the whole earth. This verse is essentially saying, if there was ever a situation where God displayed his majestic power over nature and in judgment, it is the flood. It's a clear and unequivocal message that God is king. David closes this chapter by saying, May the Lord give strength to his people. May the Lord bless his people with peace. In the midst of the storm, where there is chaos, uncertainty, destruction, and even loss, God blesses his people with strength and peace. 19th century German theologian Franz Dielich says the closing word here of peace is like a rainbow arch over this chapter. And rainbows are reminders of God's promises. And the promise we see in Psalm chapter 29 is that the God of glory is a God of grace. And the God of majesty is a God of mercy. The God of power is also a God of peace. This idea of peace is something I want to spend some time talking about. When we hear this word, it immediately takes us to a place of serenity. Just no worries, free of stress and anxiety. And for the warthog and meerkat, akuna matata, Right? This word used for peace is shalom in Hebrew. And in this context, it essentially means wellness of life, quietness, rest, and a place of safe refuge. In Romans chapter 5, Paul says, Since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And Philippians 4, 7, he says, And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. 
Because of Jesus Christ, there is a quietness and a rest for the people of God, even in the midst of a storm. A Christian folk artist named Jack Dawson painted a picture where he describes peace in the storm. Take a look at this picture. He has a lot of crazy things happening here. And at first glance, you really don't see anything peaceful about it. It's almost like he's, he's being sarcastic. You see some crashing waves, some rain, some thunder. There's most likely some intense wind happening here. But then you look closer and you see something. It's hard to see in this, this uh, low-resolution picture, but there's a little bird right there in the cleft of that rock. Protected in its nest from all the wind and the rain and crashing waves. It's small and almost insignificant, but this bird, for this bird, it's the perfect place for peace and refuge in the midst of everything that's going on. Jesus said in John, in, uh, John chapter 16, verse 33, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In, those, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. I don't think I have to try hard to convince you that in life, storms will come. You either have gone through one, you're probably, you might be in one right now, or I hate to break it to you, <laughs> it will happen. And if you say, I don't, I don't believe it's God's will for us to go through storms. I believe that if we pray, if we have enough faith, God will take care of us. I believe he desires good things for us and plans to prosper us and not to harm us. This may be true, but maybe our idea of prosperity is not exactly correct. Jesus himself said, trials will come. I think many times our theology can be based on an incorrect view of God where we think only good things are from him and all the bad things are obviously from somewhere else. When we have this view, it makes it difficult for us to place our confidence in God and not in our circumstances. Prosperity is not the absence of of trials and difficulties. It's not when God answers every single one of our prayers and we get everything we want. It's not this false name it, claim it kind of idea that's, kind of, that's really made it difficult for people to engage with God and trust that he is taking care of us, even though things don't turn out the way that we hope and pray they would. When it comes to defining our life in the eyes of Christ, prosperity is not about being debt-free. It's not about having a million dollars in the bank or being the healthiest person on the planet, never getting sick or getting cancer. It's not having the most friends, the greatest marriage, or the perfect family. It's not any materialistic Fill in the blank. I guarantee if you have at least two or three of those things, the other, three, the other things are probably going to prove you that 
you don't have it all as good as you thought you would like to have it. Storms will come in some area of our life. Don't get me wrong. And these things are blessings and it's not wrong to desire them and pray for them. But having them does not mean you are a testimony of God's goodness. I'll put it to you like this. If you had just won a $10 million lottery ticket versus someone who might be in the red with millions of dollars of medical bills and things that have just gone completely haywire in their life on the verge of bankruptcy. Is God not good anymore? Is he good in one case but not the other? Did he stop being good simply because life might just be hard at the moment? That's not it at all. The point I'm trying to make is simple. When our idea of prosperity is that we are, is that we live a stormless and easy, stress-free life. If that's our idea, then we will be disappointed. When we look at the storm as something separate from God's best or ideal for us, we'll always be envious of circumstances getting better than they are in the current situation. We may even feel like we have missed something or think things like God is either not around or I'm just playing out of his will or something happened. Kind of a side note here. Nowhere in scripture does it promise that God's will is the easy path. And nowhere does it say if you take this road and do these things, it will be smooth sailing and you'll have no problems. I've seen so many Christians get discouraged and bitter and even question whether they heard God right when they walked into something, when things get difficult. It's, it's really a fatalistic mindset to have this, have this uh, perspective that places way too much weight on us when we think, if things don't work out, I must have missed the boat and just went through the wrong door. If it gets harder than we thought, how often do we think, well, clearly I made the wrong choice. If God was really in this, it would have been way easier. This thinking does not give us the grace and assurance that he will make our path straight when we trust him. And that's what this is, it's really about when we're in these seasons. To not get, grow weary and frustrated and bitter and just question what is God doing? Has he left? Did I miss something here? Just as Jesus said in John chapter 16, verses 33, trials, storms will come. They look different for everyone. And what might be one person's storm might be another person's, like, if only I had it as good as them. We have to ask ourselves, is this storm really a storm or is it a, a, a grass is greener kind of attitude? Like the grass is greener over there. Is it motivated by envy of someone else's circumstances or situation? Um, so imagine if the bird in the picture I showed you looked across that little um, 
canyon area and saw a bird with a bigger nest in a bigger alcove and it just looked so much drier over there. What if that bird said, man, I wish I was over there and not in this place that I'm in? That's what I'm talking about here. Pastor Nathan spent the last couple of weeks preaching from the book of Job. And if you want to talk about someone who uh, had some circumstances not go his way, I, I think um, he's a pretty good case study for that. His life was a storm. He had, a, he had every opportunity to throw in the towel and get angry at God. He, even his wife said, why are you still trying to maintain your integrity? Just curse God and die. How encouraging is she? <laughs> the thing is, the blessing he received at the end wasn't a promise. He wasn't holding on uh, to, to this thought that, okay, once I get through these things, this trial, how life has just become upside down, if I can just make it through to the end, then everything will work out and I'll receive a tremendous blessing at the end and be given 10 times more than what I've lost. The, that's, that's not the message of Job and he didn't know how things were going to turn out. The message of Job is don't lose heart. Don't give up. God is in control. Take your eyes off your circumstances and put your hope in him. Before my wife and I moved out here to Saratoga um, to join you at New Life, I was working as an associate pastor in Oregon. And the season was actually extremely difficult. I haven't talked a lot about it, but without going into detail, after just four months, I was essentially forced out of my role there. Ashley was five months pregnant with our daughter, Haley. We were locked into our lease on our house. My family was 17 hours away in Colorado, and Ashley's family was on the other coast in Maryland. We had nowhere to go and nothing to do but just hunker down and wait for God to open a door and direct us into whatever was next. After, after uh, leaving the church, I was at, I was immediately given a job uh, working as a mental health case manager. Although it was a very difficult job and a struggle, it was also a reminder that God was taking care of us. Haley was born three weeks early, but one day passed where Ashley qualified for her short-term disability from her job. And that was a definite answer to prayer. There are a few complications with Haley's delivery that required some additional time in the hospital and some follow-up, and it was a, quite a scary uh, moment for us. But God was there. He was in it every single moment in that whole situation. Three weeks after Haley was born, my younger brother, Jameson, passed away from a seizure that impacted a condition in his heart. He was only 28. So we loaded up our car and drove 17 hours from Redmond, Oregon to Durango, Colorado with our brand new baby girl. During this time, I was actually giving up the idea of working in ministry. I was, I was actually in the process of getting some credentials to teach music in school. And it was sort of just a, a culmination of just my first 
two uh, positions in ministry were just very difficult, to put it lightly. I was feeling quite discouraged and, and broken through, through a lot of um, the, the life experience I had at that point in ministry. As, as much as it was hard being with my family for my brother's funeral, it actually was a time that God used to encourage me and confirm some things in my own life. After a few hard conversations with some close friends and relatives, I realized God had placed a call on my life. Although I was uncertain what that looked like, I knew I needed to stop running from it. I don't know why we had to go through the things we went through that year, but looking back, God was there through every step of the way. I don't know if any of you are in a similar season or something that you've gone through in your life and looking back, you can see God's hand. But as I was thinking about our time together today, this picture of the bird in a storm came to my mind because it's just this, this tiny little place of refuge in the midst of utter chaos. But as far as the bird was concerned, it was a safe, secure place of peace. I think that's what it feels like when we find ourselves in a season of storms. We feel like everything around us is out of control, destructive and just wrecking havoc. But when we take our gaze off the situation that's around us, we realize God really is taking care of us, giving us the strength to face what's at hand and peace knowing that we are in his hands, secure and safe. The message from Psalm 29 isn't about us. It's not about our ability to endure and overcome in the midst of storms. It's about God, how God reigns as king over the storm. His sovereignty knows no limits, and uh, there's nothing that has happened or ever will happen that is beyond his control. He is in, through, above, and beyond every storm. Whether it's a physical storm, an emotional storm, or a spiritual storm that we might be experiencing. And we can have the confidence that whatever we face, he is greater. Looking back at this John chapter 16, verse 33, I, Jesus says, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have troubles, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Take heart, I have overcome the world. What does that mean, that he has overcome the world? When Jesus died on the cross, he took the weight of sin, the brokenness of the world, and the separation that exists between us and God. And he took those things upon himself. He bore the weight of those things and he overcame them. The thought I want to leave with you today is God reigns. He is the Lord over the storm. Although the storm may seem unpredictable, the road ahead may, may be uncertain, 
Although things may be completely out of our control, although the power of the storm seems like it's going to take us out, we can't hold strong. Even though those things might be feelings we experience, we can rest in the knowledge and assurance that he will give us the strength to endure and the peace to know that he will take care of us every step of the way. I want us to all stand and read this verse from Romans together and just make this a point of belief for ourselves and say, God, help this to be something I can take with me as a point of confidence and not waver from the fact that he is with us. He is never going to leave us. Let's read this together. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Let's sing together.